You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL for Fan Sided and Pro Football Weekly, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers, and you can find all of the podcast content at LockedOnPackers.com. It is Monday, and we are coming off the NFL Draft the Green Bay Packers making 11 of their 12 selections that they went into the week holding. They traded one of them as part of the trade backup for Josh Jackson. And we're going to talk about a number of different things in this show. We're going to talk about some big picture outlooks after the draft, some takeaways from the draft. And then we're going to look ahead at what this team looks like now that they've made those draft selections, what the reverberations could be from this draft class. But let's start with something that I think is really important to emphasize as part of this process. And that is something that I pointed out as we went into the draft because a lot of Packer fans had this sort of sky is falling mentality. And and, and it was something that I think expanded into the, the larger media populace This idea that, oh, without Aaron Rodgers, this is a a bad roster. And I never bought that. I never thought it was true. I never thought it was even partially true. I I think it, it has some deficiencies. Some of those deficiencies have been mitigated in the draft. But this idea that this is a team full of holes, when you look at some of the teams around the league, it just isn't true. Their strengths are just different. And, and harder to pinpoint. So you look at a team like the Philadelphia Eagles. And you say, okay, where are their strengths? Okay, their strengths in the front four, front seven in particular. Where else? Coaching? Play calling? But from a personnel standpoint, where are the other strengths of that roster? The running backs aren't anything special. They have Alshon Jeffrey and... What else at receiver? Zach Ertz is a Pro Bowl player. I mentioned the front seven, but outside of that group, Malcolm Jenkins is a solid player. I think he's a little bit overrated as a player because he is such a a great guy and he is such a, a prominent, famous human. But that secondary isn't particularly talented. So... When I look at a team like the Green Bay Packers and I look at the roster and I go, okay, let's see, Green Bay has a very good offensive line. They have a very good defensive line. They have a legitimate number one receiver. They have a stable of backs, even if none of them are Pro Bowl players. And they have the best quarterback in the sport. So what am I missing? Where... How many places are the Eagles that much better than Green Bay? And the Eagles just won the Super Bowl. I understand the Rams have this cadre of of talented players. They've got a crazy defensive interior in particular. They've got a very good secondary. They've got 
a great running back, but is are people sold on Jared Goff? What about the receivers? Brandon Brandon Cooks and, and Robert Woods are going to light the world on fire? I just, it's hard for me to look around the league and see teams that are significantly less flawed than Green Bay. The NFL is full of flawed teams. The Patriots went to the Super Bowl and were moments away from winning. That defense was terrible. The front seven was a joke. The secondary was was talented but didn't play up to their abilities. The Patriots didn't have any high-quality individual talents at running back. Deion Lewis, solid guy, but that's it. He doesn't play there anymore, by the way. They almost won that Super Bowl without Rob Gronkowski. Very little receiver talent outside of Brandon Cook. So I just you have to you have to have a comparison point here, and I've gotten off on a tangent because I think when you look at Green Bay, and I said going into the draft, what are they missing starter wise, right? Where are their starters deficient? And I pointed to two areas in particular. I pointed to the cornerback position, and less so after the free agents that they signed. And I pointed to the receiver position, and then I said maybe right guard, depending on how they feel about it, and maybe safety, depending on how they're going to play it. That's it. That's it. And what did they do? They go corner at the top of the draft twice. They go receiver three times in this draft. They took an offensive lineman, a tackle who's going to play guard. Clearly, they don't think safety is a huge problem, but what did they do? They went out and got a former safety, former star linebacker, which is the Rover linebacker. He also played linebacker, Oren Burks did at Vanderbilt. So they got a versatile cover overhang defender. They agreed with me. And I don't say that to toot my own horn. I say that to say this roster was deficient in particular areas, two really in particular, cornerback and receiver. And Green Bay addressed those positions. But there's a reason why they didn't go draft a bunch of edge rushers because this group is better than is given credit for. And I think that has to be taken into consideration here. Green Bay didn't view their team the same way the public views their team. And I think part of that is the fact that that simply Green Bay didn't overreact to one season. They didn't overreact to not having Aaron Rodgers. And what's interesting is it's always forgotten that Green Bay won games with Brett Hundley as bad as Brett Hundley proved to be overall. And I understand they didn't beat any great teams. They beat bad teams. But guess what? Bad teams are bad. And so even without Aaron Rodgers, if they can beat a team like Cleveland, if they can beat a team like Chicago or Tampa, teams that picked in the top 10, then their talent without Aaron Rodgers, who is the biggest difference maker in the sport, better than those top 10 teams then if you have a roster that is not as that bad, even if we can just assume it is, even if I agree it has deficiencies, they beat multiple teams 
without Aaron Rodgers and with other injuries at other key positions, by the way. Injuries at the cornerback position. Devon House did not play healthy basically all season. Ditto for Kevin King. They lost Quentin Rollins, who, for whatever I think of him, was supposed to be a rotation-level corner for them. I mean, late in the year, they're playing some of these teams shorthanded and still winning, even with Brett Hundley, you know, in the Tampa Bay game, throwing for fewer than 100 yards on the strength of the other players on this roster. And I, I just, I think that we have to remember the reality of the situation. Are there other teams whose rosters seem better than Green Bay's? Yes. Minnesota's roster, top to bottom, seems better than Green Bay's. Probably the Rams' roster, top to bottom, seems better than Green Bay's. And Philadelphia, if Carson Wentz is healthy, I think you can say their roster, top to bottom, is better than Green Bay's. I don't know that you can say it definitively about anyone else. Maybe New Orleans. That's probably it. Maybe Atlanta's, depending on on maybe what you think of Calvin Ridley. I just, I, I, I'm struggling to find the team that has a better roster than Green Bay's, or at least has a significantly better roster. And I, I really do believe that the draft bore that out, that they had two positions that they went into this draft thinking we need to address corner and receiver, and they did that. Before we move on, I want to remind you about our Pro Football Focus Edge subscription giveaway. Put your name and your Twitter handle in a review of this podcast on iTunes, and you'll be entered to win a Pro Football Focus Edge subscription. That's a $39.99 value. It gets you access to player grades, tools, charts, fantasy football data, NFL draft content, and all sorts of data that would normally be behind the paywall I want to give to you for free. And all it would take, all it would take, is your name and your Twitter handle in a review of this podcast on iTunes. So with the draft now in our rearview mirror, I think in the short term, we can take a, a leap forward and look at how this draft could play out in terms of the roles right away. And and what I want to caution my listeners against is believing that all of these players are going to come in and start or even, even a majority are going to come in and start and play meaningful roles. The reality is they just aren't. And for all the reasons I just laid out. And that doesn't even take into account the fact that most rookies aren't very good. So if we're going to take a meaningful account of this roster and the potential roles of the, the rookies that were taken as part of this draft class... I think you have to look first and foremost into the cornerback position and say, all right, where is Tremont Williams going to play? Because Kevin King is clearly going to be a starter outside. And so if Tremont Williams is also going to start outside, which I would think is, is the way they will look at it at first, then I think Jair Alexander is the logical choice in the slot. Now, maybe we open the season and we're seeing House on the outside in nickel situations. So rewind to last year. And Green Bay opened the season with Devon House on one side, Quentin Rollins on the other, and then they would rotate. You... you would see in practice, in training camp, 
when they went to their nickel personnel and they would bring in the extra corner, Rollins and Randall rotated that inside slot position. Who is going to win that slot position this year? That is going to come down to what happens on the outside. Is Green Bay going to play Tremont Williams there? And does Jair Alexander win the nickel role? I think that seems like the most logical solution. That is, at least to start the season, I think that will be how they'll go into training camp. I think when we see the first nickel group, that is how it will look. It might be that they slide Tremont Williams, who I think is going to be the the de facto starter opposite Kevin King. What they might do to start-start is have House come in, play the outside, Tremont Williams kicks inside, and they give Alexander reps on the inside. But I do think, much like they did with Kevin King last year, Josh Jackson will be given reps as an outside corner with the first team. Jair Alexander will be given reps outside with the first team. 1-2 on this cornerback depth chart, Kevin King, Tremont Williams. That's just the reality as it stands right now. And I find it hard to believe that Williams will not be one of the top three corners on this team, almost no matter what. He's got a two-year contract. He's going to be on this team. Now, the question becomes, what happens to Devon House? Because if Josh Jackson comes in and plays well, and Alexander comes in and plays well, and they have Williams, and they have King, and Lindsey Pipkins does some nice things in, in training camp and in preseason, do they need to keep Devon House? I really don't think they do. And so he might not make this team. I, I tweeted that out during the draft after they drafted Josh Jackson. I said, I, I don't know if Devon House makes this team because he's very similar to Jackson. Only Jackson is significantly more talented. He's younger and has a much higher upside. Now, if, if Jackson and or Alexander look lost, if they look out of their depth early, then Green Bay just doesn't have the leeway to say, okay, Devon House, we don't need you. In a perfect world, Jackson and Alexander look like veterans when they get to camp. I don't think we can bank on that. I don't think anyone should expect that. I don't think it's realistic. I don't think it's fair to them. Let's have realistic expectations. Rookie corners are generally bad. The likelihood, the statistical history says, they are much more likely to be mediocre to bad than they are to be Marshawn Lattimore last year. Now, Lattimore and Tredavious White were both very good corners as rookies. Desmond King, another Iowa corner last year, came in and played and played very well for the Chargers in the slot. Could Alexander or Jackson replicate that? Sure they could. They're both exceedingly gifted players. They could both come in and give the Packers meaningful snaps. I I don't think that can be expected early on. And as a result, I think you just have to say King, Williams, one of the rookies, and House are probably going to be your top four corners. And the other rookie corner is going to be your fifth corner. And then it's going to be a fight on the roster for if Josh Hawkins and Lindsey Pipkins can make this team. But... Again, I won't rule out that Devon House just doesn't make it. 
because I think Lindsey Pipkins can be a better player than House. Although I like I like House as a as a depth play. I just think Pipkins has a bigger upside. He's got more versatility. I don't I'm out on Josh Hawkins. I just don't think he can play at a level that's that is enough as a cornerback and certainly not enough as a special team. Like if he were Jeff Janis but a cornerback, he could be on the team. But he's not. So if you're not going to be a special teams ace and you can't be a reliable, even just backup corner, I don't know what your value is relative to two rookies and a second-year player and two free agents, plus Lindsey Pipkins, who outplayed you, just objectively speaking, last year. I think the reality is Hawkins is probably the on-man out, and I think there's certainly a possibility where they only keep six corners. I think they'll probably keep seven. But if they only keep six, I think Devon House's job is legitimately in question here. You are listening to Locked On Packers on the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily local podcast network. To catch up on everything around the league, check out Locked On NFL and Locked On NFL Draft. The other interesting battle is that receiver. And we talked about it a little bit on Saturday after we went through this receiver depth chart and all the different machinations that could come out of it. And the more I've thought about it, I just don't think Trevor Davis is on this team next year. I think because, look, Jair Alexander can return punts. So he could be the team's punt returner, especially if he is a nickel corner. Or let's say Josh Jackson outplays Alexander in the preseason. And he's the guy that earns the playing time. And then what they do is Jackson becomes the outside corner in nickel situations. They move Tremont Williams inside, much like what happened with Demarius Randall when he was a rookie. Casey Hayward was the outside corner. Then in nickel, when they had the third corner in there, they they moved Casey Hayward into the slot and Demarius Randall played on the outside. If that is the case, then Alexander is a quality punt returner, or at least a dynamic punt returner in limited reps at Louisville. He was their safety punt returner. So a lot of college teams and a lot of NFL teams, you see Odell Beckham returning punts. Not every time Antonio Brown does the same thing, but in big spots when the team needs a play or when, when they need to secure a catch. Louisville did that with Jair Alexander. That could become a more full-time role for him. That has to be sorted out. None of the receivers they drafted can fill that role. Now, I don't think Trevor Davis provides enough in the other phases. He's not a great kick returner. He is. He was their best punt returner. But Alexander could be better as a, as a punt returner. And I think someone like Marquez Valdez-Scantling is the kind of player with his speed and his size to be a kick return guy. Green Bay tried Jordy Nelson as a kick returner. They tried Jeff Janis as a kick returner. They will almost certainly try Valdez Scantling as a kick returner. And so I think his value early is going to be special teams. Jamon Moore is going to make this team as a receiver. What happens with Equinemius St. Brown, I, I don't know. There are some weird reports that came out on Sunday about he doesn't stretch, which is just like a weird thing. He doesn't stretch, which is apparently his dad's mantra. They don't stretch because cheetahs don't stretch, which is like an amazing thing. He refused to play special teams. 
I'm not that he apparently wasn't disrespectful about it, but just like I'm not, I'm just not going to do that. Now, Green Bay doesn't like to keep depth players that don't play special teams. So, if St. Brown is not going to play ball, if he's not going to be a receiver, and he won't play special teams or doesn't want to or won't give effort, what is his future on this team? The thing is, I think he's the most talented of those receivers, so he'll probably make it based on talent. St. Brown and Moore, for sure, are more talented than D'Angelo Yancey. And I think they're more physically gifted than Trevor Davis. And so from that standpoint, I think you look at those five with Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, Geronimo Allison, who maybe not a lock to make the roster, Jamon Moore, and Equinemius St. Brown, that's five. Now, Michael Clark, where is he? Where is he in his development? Will they keep six receivers and then sneak Valdez Scandling on the practice squad? They cut Yancey, they cut Davis. That is the situation that, that I find most appealing. Because I like Clark better than Yancey. Clearly the team likes Clark better than Yancey. They got to watch him practice all year. And instead of bringing Yancey off the practice squad to, to get reps late in the season, they brought Clark off the practice squad to get reps late in the season. He is ahead of Yancey and, and probably ahead of Davis too. And so if you're going to replace two of those receivers, those are the guys. Now remember Yancey was a practice squad guy, but Jordy Nelson is also gone. So that's a spot that, that Green Bay doesn't have to worry about. That's going to be filled by one of those guys, one of those rookies. So I think what you'll see is a receiver group that is Adams, Cobb, Allison, Moore, St. Brown, Clark. I think that is the receiver room. And then they, they sneak. I said this to Ben Fennel on Twitter yesterday. Marquez Valdez-Scanling seems like the kind of guy who makes some nice plays in preseason and there's some rave reviews out of minicamp or training camp about him. And Packer fans convince themselves that he's not going to sneak onto the practice squad. And then he sneaks onto the practice squad. I, I think that is his destiny. Because I think his best value is on special teams. And he can be a practice squad player who can be called up if there are injuries. And he'll come on and be a special teams player. And he can be a scout team player. And profiles as the kind of guy who probably won't be snatched up by another team on the practice squad. I think it would it would be harder to think that it would be okay to get someone like EQ onto the practice squad. He's just too talented. And he fell for some weird reasons. It sounds like some attitude and and just sort of some some wonky personality stuff caused him to drop. But talent-wise, there's no denying his talent if if the Packers, and if he shows that in the preseason, if Deshaun Kaiser and, and St. Brown start hooking up in the preseason, all of a sudden, it's going to be really hard to sneak him onto the practice squad. And I just think Jamon Moore is too good. He's a fourth-round pick. They're not going to try and get him on the practice squad. Someone would snag him. So Green Bay just can't afford to do that. And that's just the reality of the position that they put themselves in. And that's fine. But I think barring serious steps forward as receivers, D'Angelo Yancey and Trevor Davis are just not going to be on this team anymore. And I don't think anyone should, I mean, obviously, as a person, have some sympathy for them that 
they, they may be missing out on an opportunity to pursue their dreams. But I don't think from a talent standpoint, anyone should be concerned about dropping those guys from this roster in terms of the quality of the overall talent of that roster. And I, I just, I don't know that the other draft picks, I mean, is someone like Looney going to make this team? Probably not. He's a practice squad guy. Donerson, probably a practice squad guy. Cole Madison will make the team because he's a he's a, a legitimate draft pick and a, and a need position player. But I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up as the practice squad guy either. As I said earlier, this is not a team loaded with holes. Most of the starting players are accounted for. And so it's it's 11 guys fighting for like four or five roster spots. Now, we don't know what the June 1 cuts are going to look like. And there are always a surprise cut or three in Green Bay in August and September. But most of the, most of the roster spots are spoken for. And so there's going to be a lot of competition in Green Bay. I think that's the point. Roster spots are going to have to be earned. And that's, that's another hidden benefit of having so many picks is guys are going to have to come in and compete. They're going to have to come in and win their jobs. They're going to have to win their playing time. And competition begets production. It begets improvement. And I think that's the way that this team needs to get better. All right, we're going to have some interviews over the course of the next week or two with some of the people that have covered the the players that the Packers drafted. I want to bring you an inside look at those players. I think it's important because a lot of you don't watch the college game regularly and don't study all of this. Someone like Oren Burks, linebacker, number one. A lot of people just don't follow linebackers. Number two, most people don't follow Vandy football. Is he going to make an impact on this defense? We're going to talk about that. I wanted to focus on the two biggest positions of need today, but we're going to talk about his his position on this defense moving forward. We just don't have time. We have a finite amount of time, and I have to get through a lot. So we're going to, we're going to save that discussion for another day. I want to bring you an inside look at these prospects, and so I'll bring you interviews. We're going to have a lot more discussions as we move forward. I'll bring you the inside information from minicamp. We'll have on some people who are there, who are watching these guys up close, and give you all of the information that you need as the Packers offseason moves forward. We'll have a show Wednesday. We will have a show Friday. And then we'll be back at it next week. You can follow me on Twitter for all of your Packers-related needs at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Packers. And all of the podcast content is always at LockedOnPackers.com. Remember, check out Fansided for more drafts content. Check out ActivePackingCompany.com, ProFootballWeekly.com. It's all there to help you stay locked on Packers.